Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Good evening, afternoon, morning, whatever time it is that you are listening to this. Uh, Welcome back, everyone. This is, of course, the Lookout Landing Podcast, but you already knew that. Today we are doing another episode of our Why I'm a Mariners Fan series, and today we have another very special guest. I'm very happy to welcome uh, the writer, comedian, playwright, suffering Seattle sports fan. Uh, You may know him from his work in The Stranger, at Grantland, Deadspin, other various outlets. It is Spike Friedman. What up, Spike? Not much. How are you? I'm hanging in there, man. It's weird how, I mean, I've been doing these now for a couple weeks, and it's weird how, like, talking about the Mariners being so shitty also makes me miss the Mariners. Like, I was thinking today, as the Mariners, it is, uh, let's see, the 26th, the Mariners signed Kendall Graveman today, and that kind of got me thinking about baseball again, and I was like, oh my god, why am I doing this in the middle of November? I feel like Kendall Graveman, it's just a great Mariners name. I feel like it gets it all in there. It, 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 it hints at the Jason Kendall Mariners experience we never really got. Grave is in there, which speaks to how we're all moving towards death as Mariners fans. Man, because, you know, baseball is still gendered. So, you know, it really covers it all as far as I'm concerned. I completely agree. And he totally looks like a Kendall Graveman, too. So he really checks all the boxes of... Uh, late November signing from the A's. Like, it's not a big move at all, but it was enough for me to remember that I do follow this team, and I was, like, looking at Kendall Graveman's stats today like a normal person. 
Yeah, it's uh, the first picture when you Google him is him just looking really serious. I can't tell what hat that is. It's got an N on it. I don't know, man. All right. Well, hey, this is an extremely Mariner signing, and I extremely appreciate it. Yeah, he'll either be absolutely horrible or be okay and then get traded and make the All-Star team. That's the only <laughs> way this can go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Spike, uh, like many of us, I'm sure, has a bit of a, let's say, tenuous relationship with the Mariners um, at best. Is that fair to say for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been all in as a Mariners fan from a pretty young age. Uh, I moved I moved to Seattle when I was about two years old to Bainbridge Island in the late 80s. Um, and just immediately... Well, I would say immediately glommed onto the team, but that's actually not true. There was like a weird period when I was like three or four years old. I moved to Seattle from Southern California. Uh, and for whatever reason, I still liked Wally Joyner a lot. And so I had an equal representation on my walls of Mariners and Angels posters when I was about four years old. Which is strange. Just strange to look back on. That is interesting, especially because... Like, I don't think that Wally Joyner has any sort of cachet now. Like, there are definitely players from that era you could have said, and I'd be like, oh, that's cool. But Wally Joyner, I don't think, is really moving the needle for people who are thinking about, like, old baseball players that they really latched onto. No, I can't imagine. I Even with hindsight, I don't quite understand it. He was, like, boyish in, like, a <laughs> Ferris Bueller sort of way. I wasn't aware of what Ferris Bueller was at the time. Again, I was like four years old. There's something about Wally. It was the Wally World branding. I don't know what it was, but uh, I was all in on Wally Joyner and also the Mariners. That makes sense, though, because Wally is like, if you're a kid, I could totally see Wally being the guy that you think is just the coolest no matter what. Like, even if, like you said, he's kind of a dork, anyone named Wally when you're four years old is going to be a favorite. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. And I'm like, well, if I get to choose between Wally Joyner and Ken Griffey Jr., I'm obviously choosing both. You know, I can't pick between those two legends of the game. Totally. Yeah. It's a it's a classic chocolate and peanut butter situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then are your were your parents angels fans or was that just like you lived in Southern California so like, I don't I don't even be. have memories of living in Southern California. I just was like aware that I had been born there and therefore like felt some strange association with it. My parents were uh, big Yankees and Orioles fans respectively. My mom, basically in support of my Mariners fandom is now as much a Mariners fan as anything else. We would go to games at the kingdom probably 15, 20 times a year from when I was, yeah, from when I was about four to when I moved back to California when I was about 10 years old. So like we were all in and that was pretty peak Mariners in a lot of ways. I mean, it obviously wasn't peak Mariners in that I moved to California in early 95. So I miss the actual peak Mariners era, but like <laughs> there's something about like Tino Martinez and like Joey Cora and you know, those guys around the guys who were just like awesome. And like those, like the 94 team, like everyone remembers the 95 and the 97, like those 98, like those teams are great. But like, Right as they were getting good when Lou Pinella first got there, those teams were just, like, so fun. And obviously Griffey was at the heart of it. But just, like, all the dudes around them, like, that for me is, like, 
baseball at his core. Like, early Omar Vizquel is, like, we just, like, was there all the time. I still have Omar and Randy, like, signed ticket stubs and stuff like that because, like, they were just dudes. And, like, for me, like, I don't know, like, that era of, like, seven, eight years old, all in on Omar and Randy, like, it was the greatest. Like, that team was the greatest. And... They didn't win anything, but I still don't care. Like, that team was the best. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's something, like, very pure about those those first teams that you like who aren't actually as good as you thought they were. Like, that's, I think, most people's Mariners' memories just forever because they haven't had the one, like, World Series team. So I think everyone is going to have that team, like, either a year before or a year after they made the playoffs. Where you're like, I like those guys. Like, I remember really liking Randy Wynn. From yeah, like 2002, 2003 teams, and being like, if we have you know three more Randy wins, we're we're set. Like we'll be good. <laughs> and then you realize that that's not just how it works. Like it's so funny to think like when I was a kid, I imagined that like the 22nd and 23rd player on every roster were like pretty solid. And now in 2019, we saw like first of all the 22nd and 23rd guy changed every week, but it was like minor league guys. You know, it wasn't that like completely full roster of dudes who could contribute which is what like you need to have a good baseball team obviously and in my youth i thought that was just how every team operated yeah i mean when you look back on like just the entire era from like 94 to 2000 yeah 2003 i'd say like all those rosters especially in the offensive side like those dudes like stacked like deep down the bench you had guys who were capable of playing baseball which uh you know, the the following 15 years, maybe you didn't have that quite so much with the guys who were capable of playing baseball at every position. But yeah, like Mark McLemore, you know, like how great was Mark McLemore? And he was what, probably the 11th best player on that 2001 team? But it's like, oh my God, that guy. Yeah, he's the, he's the ultimate just like baseball dude. And like the Mariners used to just be loaded up with baseball dudes when I was growing up and maybe like maybe kids now you know they think of Jose Lopez really fondly that'd be weird like there's like 17 year olds who really love their memories of Unieski Betancourt like (laughs) I'm willing to allow for the possibility but like you know I I don't think that Uni holds up as well to scrutiny as Omar Vizquel does I'm willing to go out on that limb right now Right. Well, I can kind of help you out here. I was born in 95. So my, okay. yeah, my sort of like fringy guys, like my all time favorite, like random Mariner dude, that only Mariner fans will remember is Bucky Jacobson. I think he <laughs> played like maybe 30 games with the team. Oh, but, but legendary, legendary 30 games. Exactly. And he's actually, there's been a couple times where he's interacted with some stuff on Lookout Landing. And that to me was like, I was so excited. And like, that's one of those things where it's very hard to explain to someone who doesn't understand what you're talking about. Because if you were like, oh yeah, a baseball player that I liked as a kid, like liked a tweet of mine or something, they'd be like, oh yeah, cool. Like, were they good? And then you're like, well, not really, but... <laughs> His name was Bucky, and he hit home runs, like, out of the stadium, basically. That's at least what I remember. He probably had, like, four big league home runs or something. It's probably around that, yeah. I recently had something like that, because I think, for me, one of the nadirs of being a Mariners fan was in, uh, was it 04, 05, when they did the back-to-back day, deadline day trades of Azdrubal Cabrera and Shinshu Chu for uh, Eduardo Perez and Ben Broussard to the Indians. So basically they traded away two of their top five prospects for 
two halves of a DH platoon, neither of which was signed beyond that year, yep. uh, which is just just peak Bavasi nonsense. Uh, and and I, I remember that day really vividly. I was in college at the time, and it just, like, shook me to my core. And I was at a Dodger playoff game this year against the Nationals, and as Drubal Cabrera comes out, and I'm like, I just, like, fired off some tweet about, like, still being mad about Ben Broussard and Eduardo Perez. And Eduardo Perez replied to the tweet being like, me too, buddy. I didn't like that trade either. And it was just, like, <laughs> so good. It was just like, yes. Thank you, Eduardo Perez. And, like, imagine if you're Eduardo Perez and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to the Mariners. Oh, I'm going to be a free agent next year with the stink of this Mariners team on me. Oh, God. God. Uh, yeah. I love that idea of like the human element of the players getting in the way of their actual job. Like, I'm sure that that's happened multiple times where a player finds like their agent is like, hey, the Mariners want you, or they get traded to the Mariners, and the player's shoulder is like probably slump a little bit. Like, oh, really? Especially if you're from the East Coast, I would imagine. Like, there's no way that you're like as excited to go to Seattle as maybe you should be. You know what I mean? Like, I think their perception is just cold dark and bad baseball which isn't obviously that far from the truth but like it's not what you'd want to hear from someone who's like supposed to be revitalizing the franchise you know yeah well it's so heartbreaking too because like this sort of peak era wherever you defy i feel like 94 to 2003 like that decade the team was good and like before that it wasn't good and after that it has not been good but like 10 solid years of like turning probably like one of the biggest joke franchises in sports into you know as much of a powerhouse as you can be without making the world series and then to give it all away like i imagine like in you know in 2000 2001 like when we were bringing in brett boone like brett boone was stoked you know maybe he was doing some stuff he shouldn't have been doing you know who knows i don't want to Relitigate the era. Look, everybody was making mistakes. It was the go-go aughts, you know. A lot of there was they, no rules. You, there were no by rules. Definition could do steroids. Yeah, yeah. Look, anything could have been happening with Brett Boone, but I imagine he was not despondent to come to that Mariners team, and then he balled out for us, and it was awesome. That's and I feel like now, like, and and I think it's cool, like. As much as my awareness of, like, the day-to-day of the Mariners has waned, I'm still, like, aware that there is this, like, nucleus of kids coming and, like, dudes that we stole from the Mets who are maybe the only franchise more inept than we are in some ways. And so, like, I can feel like there is, like, this group of, like, 19 and 20-year-olds who are, like, we're gonna make the Mariners good again. And, like, I'm into that. Like, I'm into this like a new generation of children but like we've got to like it's still a couple years out and there's like a lot of exorcisms that need to happen a lot of cleansing a lot of like incense being burnt in the t-mobile park locker room i still don't i still don't know about t-mobile park i don't know I don't love it, but Jerry DePoto is definitely like burning sage in his pizza oven or whatever it is that he does to to, to turn the franchise around. Wait, is he um, well known for having a pizza oven? Is that like a thing? I mean, I don't know if it's well known. I mean, like people will know what we're talking about because I don't know if you ever listened to his podcast. I was listening to it at the beginning because it was still a novel thing. Like, oh, the GM has his podcast and it always started with him talking to Aaron Goldschmidt about food and he mentioned that he does have the things I remember was at his house he had a pizza oven in the backyard and like a 16 year old bulldog that could barely walk oh 
I love both of those things. And I'm not a big DePoto guy. I don't loathe him the way I did Bavese, but like, you know, obviously there's been some negative stuff, especially like, what was it, two off seasons ago around him. And so, you know, that sort of, that sort of tarnished my view of him. But that said, loving an elderly dog and backyard pizza oven, those are like two traits that I'm into in a person. So if nothing else, this podcast is revitalizing my capacity to respect Jerry DePoto. Yeah, for me, he's, like, right on that line between, like, the the VC, like, sports bro that's kind of taking over front offices and then also Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec. Like, he's <laughs> somehow the perfect combination of both of them, and it's not quite grading, although I could see how it wouldn't be a lot of people's, like, preferred vibe, you know? Yes. Yeah, but I feel like that's, like, a sports front office thing. Like, there's some vibe there. Even, like, even John Schneider of the Seahawks who, like, I've got tons of respect for when he like cracks jokes at a press conference. It's like awkward, like old school Vince Vaughn quotes. And I'm like, oh man, you're like a weird frat bro at heart, John Schneider. And you're really good at your job. And I'm glad you're my team's GM. But also like, I don't think we'd like get along really well if we hung out for too long. Just sad. Yeah, I think that is the sad truth of actually most athletes is that I love watching them play, but especially with baseball, unfortunately, like I don't think I would really get along with a lot of them. I mean, some of them are just so boring that maybe I could just impose my taste and my sense of humor <laughs> on them. But other ones, I think, you know, that are a little more uh, set in their ways, I think. I would yes, that is that is certainly them. one way to put it. Yeah, we're towing the line here. Expertly. <laughs> yeah. Before we go any deeper into that, uh, I want to ask you about uh, moving in 1995, like you said, uh, you know, you have the, the Mariners childhood, even though it's split with Wally Joyner and then your family moves right as the Mariners start to become like kind of a national thing. So what was that like sort of watching it happen in real time, but also being, uh, disconnected from the actual city? Uh, it was kind of a bummer. I feel we had one family friend who had a satellite dish and could get all of the games still somehow. And, there was like one room in our house that got like a radio, like AM radio feed from somewhere where we could listen to Mariners games on the radio, even if they weren't nationally televised. And at some point, it like we were able to start via satellite, via like DirecTV, maybe in like three, four years later to be able to get every game. But like there were a few years there where I was only able to watch Mariners games when they were nationally televised or we went over to like this one friend of the family's house. Well, what um, a concept. I know it's it's wild now because well and then yeah I mean like because I can watch anything I still have MLB TV although last year that was a bit of a bit of a waste of money but um yeah no it's it's crazy to think about like yeah I wasn't able to watch every game in that 90 in that 95 run um but we had I remember because I moved to Southern California and you know most of the people who I was friends with were Dodger fans because we were not in Orange County but there were like a couple Angels fans and so that comeback was like really thrilling of just like checking the paper every morning still had a bit of a vibe I mean I was watching like Sports Center every night and like was like aware of it but it was like oh we are coming up on this Angels team we're passing them we're doing the whole thing then like watching all the playoff games and all those being on TV and like the Mariners just being awesome and wrecking the Yankees like that was formative and amazing and 
one of the like formative like thrilling sports experiences of my childhood because like at that time the Sonics were a bit of a heartbreak team uh and you know that was they they had that year where they were the number one seed and lost to the Nuggets and then they run into Jordan's Bulls in the final and there's not much you can do about that uh, meanwhile, I'm moving down to L.A., and there's no football team here. So I'm holding on to my Seattle sports fandom because it's Peyton and Kemp. It's Griffey, and then shortly thereafter, A-Rod and Randy. And it's an awesome Mariners team, and I'm all the way in. And I hate the Lakers just instinctively, and there's no other football team to jump to. And that mid-'90s Seahawks era was probably the worst era in the history of the franchise. So, like, I might have been able to be swayed off that, but, like, the Rams and the Raiders left right then so it was just like I stayed a Seattle sports fan in a really profound way even though I moved back to LA when I was about 10 years old and like built that into my identity in some ways and stayed just obsessed with those teams all the way through like to present like I mean the Sonics obviously don't exist anymore which is heartbreaking but I still hate the Lakers with this like strange and virulent passion and when it comes to the Mariners, yeah, I mean, like, you couldn't, like, have a cooler team. And, like, I felt, like, so connected to them. Whenever they'd come down to L.A., we'd go down maybe three, four games a year to see them at the Angels Stadium. And then when interleague play kicked off in a big way, um, whenever they'd play the Dodgers, we'd be there for the whole series. Like, it was just, like, the deal. And, like, those teams were, again, they were just awesome. Like, A-Rod was awesome. And... Griffey was awesome and Randy was all like it was a team chock full of Hall of Famers and not just Hall of Famers but like cool Hall of Famers and I know that it doesn't seem possible given what A-Rod is now but like he was like the coolest dude it seemed like for a minute there is that so you were born in 95 is that even like feasible to you that A-Rod was like the coolest dude for a minute so yeah I remember the 2000 uh, season is A-Rod's last year here, and I have, like, very, very fuzzy memories of that, but I do remember him being on the team. I, obviously, like, my my main, when I think of, like, me being in elementary school and thinking about Alex Rodriguez, the main thing that comes to mind is him leaving and then being at some of those games where people were literally throwing Monopoly money at him. And, like, I that humor was not lost on me. Like, I thought that was also funny, but I do have, like, a little bit of reverence I guess for him just being on the Mariners and like I had friends who were really into A-Rod one of my best friends would like wear number three in all sports because he wanted to be like A-Rod so there was definitely some influence there but I think for my generation it's it's Ichiro and then later it's Felix and like the Griffey A-Rod Randy Johnson teams are like truly like mythical in a way I think Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of parallels between like that and like the grunge boom I know it's like a very easy comparison to make but like I remember uh, on that, the 95 documentary on MLB Network, I don't know if you've watched that, they did a whole thing about that entire season, and they're showing a clip from the Yankees series, and Brent Musburger is like, we are aware that for some of you, this is the first time you've ever seen the Seattle Man, <laughs> seen the kingdom, and I remember thinking like, oh, this is what it was like probably to like actually discover music like when you would hear about a band but there was no way to google them or whatever you'd have to go like pick up the cd on your own like you would have to to seek it out in a way that's not the case anymore like i think even kids who don't follow baseball will still like they know who like obviously aaron judge or mike trout or mookie Betts are it's not like they would be on the tv and someone would say like who is that you know what i mean like it's not the same 
sort of specter of the Mariners being this like geographically isolated but also like undeniably cool thing that seemed very similar to what like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were doing and I know that that's like total like just easiest comparison of all time but for someone who wasn't alive really I think it's I think it's there it's super valid I mean I remember being at games at the kingdom just like off-season weeknights or whatever I would we would take the ferry over from Bainbridge and me and my dad who worked downtown and like go to a game after work and like there would be 8,000 people in a truly cavernous stadium like when safe goes empty it still has a little bit of a vibe to it just because like the view of the city is so beautiful and like honestly like the seats are like deep green and it's like an attractive place even if it's not full of fans like safeco they had to like put tarps over like most of the seats in the stadium when the mariners played because like it was built for ncaa final fours and nfl games and then like the mariners would play and no one would be there and it felt like if you like yelled something at a player they would hear you and like look at you because there was no one else there and like also like the concourses were all weird and wide and cavernous and yeah i it, it like it felt like watching like early griffey in like 91 yeah it was like seeing soundgarden at the crocodile or something like there is that like oh man no one was there for this vibe uh but also it's like kind of sad in a way because it is like a professional baseball team that you went to their games and like there were 7,000 other people there uh and uh I mean but like Griffey Griffey really did change everything like I have very few real strong baseball memories before Griffey was up with the Mariners I feel like those are my first memories or like his second season when he really took off and was spectacular but it's like that like that change went from like who like it was Harold Reynolds and Alvin Davis who just like were not anything and like Gaylord Perry played some games with the Mariners and yeah, like Mark Langston is in there. Yeah, it's success. Ro- and then Omar Vizquel, like you said, but not the way he did Omar out. come up before Griffey. I feel I remember probably not. I have no, I mean, you would probably know better than I do, but I, I remember that. it going the other way, but only barely. And then like, I feel like the name we haven't said who is the bridge between these two eras. And to me, my favorite Mariner and like the greatest all time Mariner is Edgar Martinez. Of course, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like I learned whatever I feel in terms of like an appreciation for the deeper nuances of baseball comes from having been in the kingdom and had my parents and like my friends' parents be like, yeah, Griffey's amazing. And yeah, Randy is incredible. And Randy was like, truly a spectacular thing to watch because like his first few years he was so wild that it just felt like anything could happen and then like a switch flipped and suddenly he was the best pitcher in baseball and it was just like oh my god this is like it was just like you got the whole package with Randy in a certain way but with Edgar it was like an elegance and a sophistication to the way he hit and it was just like you went to the game and like I feel like even then it was like you learned about what the what it meant to have someone who was a batting champion and like that like resonated in this way where it was like griffey's was a spectacular fielder and he hit dongs and like 
anybody could understand how great Ken Griffey Jr. was. And everybody did understand how great Ken Griffey Jr. was. But it was like the real Mariners fans knew that like Edgar Martinez socking doubles and batting 360 and just like doing it inning and inning out didn't matter who the other pitcher was. If you went to a Mariners game, you were going to see Edgar Martinez get on base. Like there was something about that that like was just like... I think what what I then learned later about sabermetrics and analytics, like all of that is like sort of like retcon justifying my love for Edgar Martinez uh, and that he was just a Mariner and he was there the whole way through. And I was too young to understand how dumb it was that they didn't start playing him earlier. But like it felt like for that whole block, that whole decade I'm talking about, Edgar Martinez was the baseline of that team and you know i mean my dog is named edgar like edgar edgar martinez friedman is is my giant golden doodle um and like he's yeah and so i don't know like we we it just feels like we were so lucky to have that era of teams and yet like even now i'm like what seasons did i watch the most games of and the answer is probably 2006, maybe 2008, maybe 2009. Oh like, I don't know. Like, when MLB TV and then I moved back to Seattle in 08, like, I would, like I feel like I stared into the darkness. And, like, oh, some... Bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the core of my fandom, like, it, yeah, it's built on this, like, amazing decade with all of these dudes... But, like, the crucible that, that, like, I went through that I would call myself still a Mariners fan was forged in, like, the heat of being a fan of a team that Bill Bavese was the general manager of. And a team that I honestly still believe is hampered by his spectacular failures. Yeah, I like, sorry, there's a lot I want to <laughs> touch on here. Um, I like the thing about, like... Uh, like there's a difference between very obvious visible greatness like Griffey and then sort of the understatedness of Edgar like to me I guess I mean we'll keep the Seattle analogies going like if Griffey is Nirvana then Edgar was like Slater Kinney where it's like people on the scene knew like this is actually like maybe a better band and like they maybe do it in a different way but we can appreciate them in a way that's not just like oh my god MTV or ESPN are showing them or I guess like Edgar could have been like Walter Jones where like the people who really I'm not yep. trying to be like one of those sports gatekeepers where it's like you need to really understand what I'm talking about but like there is a there is some truth to that where it's like No, I think Walter Jones is the perfect Seahawks comparison for Edgar. Yeah, because you have to actually like pay attention in a way. Like sometimes I mean I don't have maybe all of the Edgar memories. I was still like, you know, following his late career, but there was like times where I would remember seeing him have like an impressive take like you would watch him spit on a pitch that everyone else swings at and then when they try to throw it again the next time he's up he does something with it like something like that where it's like that is different than just i'm very strong and have the best swing of all time and i'm gonna hit this ball to the third deck which i think is something that we're kind of missing i mean obviously there's no one on the current team that's even close to any of those guys but like there's not the the unassuming i guess like mitch hanniger was close in the way that like 
he wasn't eye popping, but he was good and steady sort of thing. Um, now I'm just kind of rambling. No, I know, it. but I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like it, it's like impossible. Like, there's a degree to which, like, yeah, Edgar is this like amazing thing, and there's something in that contrast between the superstars in Griffey and A Rod, and then Edgar that like makes him even more special in a way. Yes, and like, and and the trick with the Mariners now is like we've had only like in a way like Ichiro was that same sort of player and sort of took over that mantle we just never successfully paired him like that was the idea with like Richie Sexton and Adrian Beltre was like oh we're gonna bring in some dudes to mash and then we're gonna have Ichiro on base in front of them every time and frankly like they kind of worked for like a moment like the Richie Sexton's first two seasons were fine and Adrian Beltre for all the slack he like all the heat he took for his era with the Mariners. If you look at his wins above replacement versus salary, you know I'm look how landing people know this, but like he almost identically earned his money based on what an open market win was valued at during the length of his contract. It's like within like a couple hundred thousand dollars what we paid him for and what he produced. Now obviously a lot of that was with his glove, and if you compare his power numbers before and after he was with the Mariners to what he did with the Mariners. There's obviously a disappointment there, but like the idea with them was like sound. It was just also like the rest of the team was a mess and like they missed on so many things and like they forgot to develop a farm system. Like just the comprehensive slow motion failure of everything that came after that. It's just, I mean, it's comprehensive. It's just like, oh yeah, you can't, like, yeah, we had Ichiro, but, like, Ichiro becomes this, like, tragic figure who has to escape. And Felix, too, like, ay ay ay, like, I don't even know how to process my feelings around Felix Hernandez, like, like, the end of this last season, where, like, that was, I watched, like, a few innings of late Felix, and, like, now he's gone. And it's like, what happened there? What even, what, what, what do we do? Like, you're like, you're, what are we, what are we doing with the, with the Felix Hernandez situation? Like, where are we right now? Yeah, it was, it was one of the more bizarre uh, turn of events. Um, and this is the second time in two episodes that the phrase tragic figure has come up to describe <laughs> Felix. So it's becoming sort of a bit at this point, but um, <laughs> I actually, I was at, and several other of the lookout landing staff writers and editors were at, the final Felix game at Safeco this year against the A's where they had the final Kings court and Felix is like signing autographs pretty much during the game and taking pictures and all that. And it really didn't feel like baseball. Like I know that's going to sound crazy, but like we were there for something that was like sports are obviously entertainment, but the whole point of that entire game was entertainment. Obviously everyone is rooting for Felix to pitch well and like it would be sweet if he could get a win it would be hilarious if he could win two to one after all the time he lost two to one but it was more of like I mean I feel like we're, we're going down this a little bit and this is also just the way my brain is working it was like a farewell tour where like I don't care if he sounds bad if he pitches bad whatever like I just want to see this performance one more time and that kind of helps I think ease some of the the thoughts about like god damn it why didn't they just get him one more pitcher or why couldn't they have just you know won one more game in 2014 or whatever like there's it's easy to sort of forget when you're doing the the like the rose colored glasses of like oh my god we have to support him and it was a good move by the mariners as well to have his last thing be such an event otherwise it really would have been 
like the most uh i guess anticlimactic ending of all time which would have been very very fitting in a lot of ways but also very cruel to felix yeah no i'm glad it and it, it almost feels less like a baseball game and more like a series finale of a tv show yeah, that's pretty good. That's exactly yeah, what it was like. Like a, like an NBC sitcom that like you watch the first few seasons of, and then you're like, I guess I'll watch the last episode of The Office. Then you're like, wait, who are all of these other guys around? <laughs> like, what? Like, Ellie Kemper is on The Mariners now? This doesn't make any sense. I'm pretty sure The Mariners and The Office had a Dylan Moore by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Oh, man. <laughs> So dark. So. Okay, so you you touched on it for a second, um, but now I think it's time to fully to get into the Bavese years. Yeah. And I'm really fascinated by it because you specifically said that that was maybe the most you've ever watched and pointed to 2006 as your guesstimate of the height of your fandom. So I guess in the simplest terms, I mean, like, what was that like? I'm sure you have the excitement of getting back into the Mariners. There's still, like, that's still Beltre on the team, right? So there is still yeah. some, like we can do this like maybe if everything breaks right we'll sneak into the playoffs so what was that emotional experience like deciding that you were gonna do the Mariners all over again and then have them just kind of projectile vomit for so many years I wouldn't say I was even doing them over again I was I would say it's more that I pushed all in emotionally and I was in college at the time and I was like an I was both a theater and econ major, which is just a weird combination. But like the econ major stuff was very rooted in reading Moneyball and trying to understand why this baseball team that I cared about was doing things so wrong. And there was an online community around that at the time. And that was Lookout Landing and USS Mariner. And the intelligence of those two websites at that moment, the nexus of that intelligence and the idiocy of every decision Bill Bavese was making, and me being like a fairly smart, like precocious undergrad who's like trying to wrap my brain around these economic concepts and like statistical concepts and having it all sort of play out in front of me, like all the behavioral economics failures that was the Mariners and like all of the dumb mistakes they were making and being able to like see people fully break that down day in and day out. Like, I don't know, like for me, and I, I was living in Massachusetts and then New York and then I moved back to Seattle over that period of time. And like, for me, like those like four or five years from like late college through my first couple of years in Seattle where the team was so woefully adrift and we, you know, like the Adam Jones for Eric Bedard trade that just happened in slow motion. And like all of us were like, this is going to happen. It's going to be terrible, but maybe it'll be Vladimir Ballantin instead. And it wasn't, and it was Adam Jones. And just as a side note, I got to see Vladimir Ballantin play in Japan this summer, which was a, with the Yakult Swallows, which are now my new favorite team. I've broken up with the Mariners. I'm a Swallows head to my core. Smart. But Yeah, they're terrible too, it turns out. So <laughs> I've got a type. But like, there's something about like getting to really like watch all the things you're learning and care about be like put into action on a baseball field. And like, I don't know, there was something like hopeful and hopeless at the same time about that era and like you know like all the dudes like Cirillo and like 
Rich Aurelia, like all these like bad, bad free agent signings and all these terrible trades. And like you can point to the Adam Jones trade and losing Cabrera and Shinju Chu, but it was just all over the place. It was just like whenever there was a like the Jose Vidro acquisition almost like made me cry out of like <laughs> rage. Like there, it was just like such this like moment where like my belief and and I'm just rambling now but it was like a weirdly important era in my life and that Deadspin just died and like I was reading Deadspin and like that website combined with these two Mariners sites feeling like oh there's a place out there for a smart sports fan like that didn't exist before with the exception of maybe like Sports Guy page 2 on ESPN but like there wasn't really like a home for smart analytical sports fans that wasn't like Frank DeFord sort of like sepia tone nonsense and like getting all of that and digesting it all and yeah I don't know like it just made me watch every Mariners game I just felt like I had to engage profoundly and deeply with this like broken institution that did everything wrong and they did everything wrong every decision that Bill Bavese made was the incorrect one at every given juncture with the possible exception of signing Adrian Beltre. Like every other choice he made was the wrong one. And frankly, that was the wrong one in as far as it really set Adrian Beltre's career back. And I love Adrian Beltre and I'm grateful that he was able to put a Hall of Fame career together in spite of Bill Vivesi paying him a lot of money. And so for, I don't know, like, it was just a heart, it was just heartbreak and, like, mind-bending and suffering and just everything. But And, like, that's still what I think of being a baseball fan as, is, like, loving a team and they're going to do everything you don't want them to do and you're going to follow them into the darkness anyway. And that was the mid-aughts Mariners. And, like, again, just, like, having Lookout Landing as a, like, light, light beacon of intelligence and truth in the midst of that was like just really important to me in like a weird way and say, yeah, yeah. No, Bill that makes perfect era. Sense. I think that like at the core of every Mariners fan uh, in that era, that I guess we'll call it the mid two thousands the Bavese years, whatever you want to call it at the core of that is that feeling that they were like essentially like pissing on your leg and telling you it was raining sort of thing. Like they were making like you said, awful, awful decisions, but then trying to spin it as like, no, 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 it, like Carlos Silva is a good move. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we do need three backup catchers and no starters, things like that, where everyone with half a brain does understand like, okay, they're, they're lying essentially, or they're actually this dumb. Like it's, I don't know which one is worse at that point either. Like actually thinking that Carlos Silva was the missing piece and he deserved all that much money or that they like, you know, like I just don't understand what the the plan was back then rather than just throw money at who is available like they didn't do anything that seemed to be cutting edge they didn't seem to do anything that like surprised anyone except for like in a bad way you know like oh my god they gave him how much money sort of thing yeah but i think that it is hard to shake too because that was a big formative part for me as well is like understanding that free agency the way i at least approached it was always going to be bad that was hard to get rid of so like when they signed robinson cano my first thought is this is a disaster why are we doing this and that turned out to be like weirdly one of the best eras in mariners history like the four years that they had or five years they had cano were 
like by record very very good but it still feels like we're almost in the Bavese cycle of like overpaying and then not actually doing it and then kind of ruining the farm and that's what Jerry is trying to get back now but there is definitely some trickle down effects I think of that mentality at least or just that that stench if you will that still kind of hovers over the Mariners well there's just a fundamental misunderstanding of value at that time when your direct competitors understood value better than any team in the history of the sport <laughs> and that's a really that's a huge disadvantage if you're trying to compete if you're up against Billy Bean and you genuinely don't understand the value of having kids under contract for a long period of time you're in trouble it's not good and like I mean like the Chu and Cabrera trades are crucial I think and then like some of the reverse like the Carl getting rid of Carlos Guillen for no reason that oh, one yeah, good one that one sucks that still sucks. And yeah, the Carlos Silva signing where you're like, there's no way this is worth it. Like, there's no metric by which he is worth that level of commitment. And even like, God, was was that did, was that the Jared Washburn? I feel like that rotation had Jared Washburn in it forever. I feel like we had Jared Washburn. I feel like we still have Jared Washburn for some yeah. reason. He, his spirit is definitely hovering over the fourth starter spot forever. <laughs> okay, good. Like as it should be um, but it's just like every like like just fundamentally have it like the league move away from you under your feet and like just decimating so much value and that's before we haven't even talked about the draft picks i mean you talk about the because like draft picks are in their way a crapshoot but like i'm still mad about Brandon Morrow over Tin Lincecum. Like, I'm still mad about it. I'm still mad about Jeff Clement and Troy Tulowitzki. I'm still mad about Hulson over Rendon. Like, these are, I was mad about in the moment. And, like, it, it's not hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, I was mad the day of those drafts. I was following those drafts, and I was furious at the time. And, like, maybe I talked myself into some of it. But, like, God, I, 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 it, every top to bottom the amount of value squandered by that team is unbelievable and and you talked about the Felix Hernandez going away day that happened this year and it highlights that we're in a better era than we were then because what I remember maybe most starkly of any of my like mid-aughts Mariners memories was going to the last game of the season it was supposed to be Raul Ibanez's last day on the Mariners but I think he ended up playing like nine more seasons with us somehow like <laughs> went to the Yankees came back I don't even know but like it was going to be like Raul Ibanez's last game and we were going to lose and we were going to draft Steven Strasburg and we won <laughs> it's just like why like why even when this team won it was the dumbest possible thing they could do. And so all of this is true. And like, man, this team ruined my life in so many deep and profound ways that I still haven't shaken in terms of like being able to trust authority figures and like all this stuff, like horrible, darkness, yeah. tragedy. But I will say you look at what the Astros are now and like what they're infected with, with this like McKinsey consulting Everything is a number. We don't care about the people. We're willing to like mock female reporters to show up the fact that we were able to wring value out of domestic abuse. Like 
in a weird way, like, that's what I wanted from the Mariners in that time. And there's, like, a tiny part of me that's grateful that we didn't do that. And, like, when, when I think back on, like, being mad that we won that last game, like, that maybe was, like, a line that I probably shouldn't have crossed in my mind and my heart of, like, the full-blown tank for pure value that the Mariners should have done and couldn't even pull off. Like, I'm like, there's a tiny bit of me that's grateful. I don't know. Like, you're following it way more closely than I am right now. Like, what is the vibe around, like, what the Mariners are versus, like, what the Astros are and what some of the teams in the rest of the league are right now? Well, it's important to remember that the Astros were cheating. So I think. Oh, that's yeah. That well, we should think about. Not only uh, cheating, but, le- yeah, they're, not only are they morally repugnant, they're also just on the field violating the rules. And, like, my whole thing is, like, if you can get caught by people on Reddit, you're so bad at cheating. <laughs> you got to be a little bit better than that. Like, it's crazy to me that it just took, like, one person watching a game being like, hey, what's that noise? And then realizing, like, oh, wait, this could be an elaborate sign-stealing thing. I love this story, by the way. I think that it's one of the better baseball scandals because it's relatively harmless, but, like, there's no way they don't get punished. So it's really perfect for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, to answer your question, though, the the whole thing with the Mariners right now is just patience, which I know no one really wants to hear. But it is, like, you look at the Astros, the Cubs. I mean, you can do it in other sports, too. The 76ers. Like, you have to be, in this era, unless you get insanely lucky with a lot of different things happening, the way to do it is to bottom out or get damn near close to it and then do the whole rebuild from the ground up and the Mariners are to their credit doing it it took maybe a little bit too long you could argue but they've been transparent now about the fact that we're taking a step back Jerry DePoto is famously allergic to saying rebuild hmm. keep saying step back but I think like I'm I'm happier that they're doing it than I would be if they were still like chasing you know 85 wins in the second wild card like I think it makes way more sense to just bank on Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kalanick, Logan Gilbert, all these guys that are like actual valuable capital for lack of a better term. Like they are the ones who have true long-term value rather than like, Oh, you know, people have been saying it. Why don't they give, you know, Garrett Cole a look? And it's like, no dude, absolutely don't do that. Or when they had the surprise uh, start, like, should we get Craig Kimbrell? No, you should not. You have to remember that baseball especially is one of these things where the the farm system at any point is arguably as important as the big league team if you want sustained success. Obviously, you can go the other way and sell out for one year, which we saw the Red Sox in 2017. They win the World Series, or 2018, excuse me, win the World Series, but now they have, I believe, the worst farm system in baseball. So I, I, I'd rather have the World Series, obviously, but I'm totally thrilled at the idea of having an actual farm system for the first time ever and for us too like people who are following it a little more closely i know a lot of people uh who write for and read lookout landing are kind of doing this too it's easy to do the little like back of the napkin thing and realize we have a guy at least they're not all going to be stars but we have a guy in the minor leagues at basically every position which is so exciting compared to what we used to have where you'd have to squint and tell yourself that maybe carlos trionfell would be something or whatever i still think he's gonna pan out man i still think trionfell is gonna i think i think he's gonna do it he's young i mean crazier things have happened i'm I'm being sorry i mean like yeah i guess it's (laughs) possible but yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he's well. No, he's twenty nine. Oh my god, we're all getting I older, mean, man. 
We are. Uh, the Carlos Trienfeld will be eternally on the brink of breaking out, no matter how old <laughs> we all get. Uh, no, that's... I mean, I think you're right. And the, the Mariners being so terrible during an era when the Seahawks were so ascendant, you can turn around a football team in two seasons uh, if you hit on a quarterback. If you have a quarterback in place in the NFL two seasons and I mean the Seahawks basically did that and got the quarterback and it all clicked sort of in year three for Pete Carroll but like in order to do that John Schneider was making 250 300 roster moves in like a couple month period at one point he was turning over everything and you could just do that in the NFL for a bunch of reasons one is you should never invest in guys long term because it's a nightmare sport that breaks people's bodies down and two is like you come out of college ready to play pro ball very often like guys on their rookie contract are the most valuable thing in football and they are frequently capable of contributing at the highest level of their career right as they enter the league baseball's just the dead total opposite of that and i think that that yeah like both like both Bavesi and zarenzik in different ways didn't get it and they just didn't get what they were doing at a at like a weird level and it, you know, and yeah, I think I still have trust issues with the Mariners, though, because DePoto is doing it right without going full Astros in a lot of ways. Like, he hasn't burned it all the way to the ground to be an unwatchable product. Although, like, they sort of got there last year by accident just because of some of the injuries and misfortune that hit that team in the middle of the season. But both the beginning and end of last year were very watchable. Um,. But for the most part, he's managed to do what he said he's going to do, which is not tear it all the way to the studs, but still put the team in a position to rebuild. It's just like, man, it's been 18 years since we've been in the playoffs, and it's hard to trust again. I mean, like, how do you trust again? How do you learn to love again after 18 years in the wilderness? I don't know. My whole thing that the Mariners have done to, like, rewire my brain is every time I'm experiencing joy, I, like, have to check myself and be like, wait a second, I, I know I know where this is heading. Even when it's, like, not a situation that calls for it at all. Like, a real-life situation where, like, there's no there's no eight-game losing streak that's possible. Like, you can't trade an experience. Like, everything that's happening is the moment, and I should be focused on that. But in my head, I do definitely do that thing of, like, I don't know, I think it's going to it's gonna fall apart, or, like, I need to... I need to keep my guard up and it keeps me from I think fully experiencing the happiness that I should be even and that seeps into baseball too obviously like I remember in 2018 when it looked like they were gonna make the playoffs I 100% will admit to having the thought of well we're gonna make the playoffs and get our shit rocked like the Astros or the Yankees or Red Sox will just run over us and that even kept me from appreciating like a good start to the season which is all we really have as Mariner fans now like it's so weird how we've conditioned ourselves to believe that the worst is coming but also when it's not coming to twist it into another negative experience yeah well and like man we haven't even taught I did this thing and it was weird but I did it I took the top three offensive draft picks for the Mariners every season from 2000 to 2016 and just look at the wins above replacement that they provided for the Mariners over so that's 45 48 total players and as of like 2018 the total was under 15 wins above replacement total and more than half of it was Dustin Ackley um which is to say like 
when you've missed on that and like the, it's a weird fluke that Seeger was the fourth offensive player taken the year we took him and also we traded away Jones and you know like there there were dudes who produced elsewhere on that list but for the most part it was just nothing and like that level of sustained failure at the part of baseball that is the most fun and you can get back to what Edgar Martinez was and what Griffey was and what A-Rod were and those were homegrown dudes who could just hit the ball the fact that we've had almost no homegrown dudes who can just hit the ball with the exception of Kyle Seeger for like most of your lifetime makes it hard to trust anything because like that's what baseball teams are built on is homegrown dudes who can hit the ball and like you can look at that Cubs team from a couple years ago just full of homegrown dudes who could hit the ball and like the Red Sox homegrown dudes who can hit the ball the Yankees like you just yeah, the need... Astros homegrown yeah. dudes who can hit a trash can really well <laughs> <laughs> well like and I live in LA now and like I go to Dodger games and it's just like man there's just some other dude who can hit the ball who they drafted and developed. And it's like, come on, how do the Mariners not have any of these guys? Well, the Dodgers also have the annoying luck of taking reclamation projects and actually making them into something. Which the (laughs) Mariners have, there's no chance of that ever working. I was at Chris, I was at Chris Taylor's first game at Safeco and like was so into it. I was like, Chris Taylor, maybe, maybe this is my guy. Then it wasn't, Maybe. and now, and, and like he sort of fell off this year. But like, come on, like what, like how, how do you put up like a six-win season? Like, come on. I'm really glad you brought up the draft pick thing because it gives me a chance to plug something that I did. Okay, <laughs> please, please, I can't wait. I can't wait. Nothing huge, but it'll be fun for you, especially because you brought it up. So we every Friday we post a Sporkle quiz on Lookout Landing, where it's like you know just trivia people. You, yeah. It's like it's a blank quiz. People have to fill out the answers. Um, so November 15th, not long ago at all, we did name the highest war by Mariners draft picks. And it's, you know, the first two, it's 1987, 70 war. That's Griffey. Yeah. And then it's 93, 38 war. That's A-Rod. And then, like, it's not in order either. These are just the top three. 2009, Kyle Seeger is next. But when you look at the full thing, there's such a huge gap from literally 93, Alex Rodriguez, to 2009, Kyle Seeger. Other than that, there is one guy who was drafted in 97 who is a pitcher, so it doesn't even fit the thing you were talking about. So the guy drafted in 97, the pitcher, who I'm not going to spoil in case you want to take the quiz, Uh is the 15th best Mariner draft pick ever, and he has 8.9 war with the team. Can I guess? Yeah, 97? Is that Pinheiro? Or Great that... guess. That's correct. Yeah. There we go. Wow, look at you. But <laughs> most of it, it's sad because you look at it and it's like dudes who were drafted in the 80s and put up like somewhere between like 15 to 20 war. And like they're not like parts of the franchise the same way that you would hope one of the best draft picks ever would be, you know? Yeah. No, but, like, exact, like that's, like, teams are built on those, though. Like, just, like, you draft a dude, he puts up 15 wins over, like, six major league seasons. Like, that's what baseball teams usually have. And the inability for the Mariners to, like, have that happen once for f- 16 years, it's a level of comprehensive failure. And it goes all the way back to Gillick. Like, nobody's safe from this failure like it touches every dimension of the Mariners fandom and is like the lurking thing underneath all of our suffering is just like if you can't get 
hitters. And then, well, and then the heartbreak is, of course, like to have had Adam Jones and to have lost Adam Jones. And we knew, oh, we all knew. We all knew it was happening. We just like watched him slip. It was like a ghost and like, I don't know. It's like Orpheus and Eurydice. Like, I don't know. We looked at Adam Jones too closely and he vanished off to Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, There's even minor versions of that too. Like Mike Morris comes to mind twice and he was never good. And then he, Mike Morris, people will forget this, had a game winning hit in game seven of the world series. Like that's a guy that the Mariners drafted who became like basically the Giants World Series DH. Like that's all he did. He couldn't play the field anymore, but he still contributed to a team that won the World Series. And like the Mariners, like even it's the thing for me where like even if they had kept him, there's no way he's that good. That's yeah. that's how I feel about Chris Taylor as well. Like I don't yeah, think Chris Taylor ever becomes Chris Taylor with the Mariners development. As Dribble Cabrera, though, might like that one just kills me. And the fact that he was basically that for the Nats this year is like, I I mean, after having like a long and solid career as like a baseball player, which God, we just, oh, what I would give for some guys who had some long and solid, like we had like, it's like the artificial flavoring version of that and like Jose Lopez or something, you know, like guys where... We were on LimeWire trying to download like good team type beats, and it didn't actually pan out. You know? Yeah, it's just, it's just it's just uh, I don't even know. I was like gonna pick a particularly loathsome a Jeremy Reed, like <laughs> yeah, uh, you know we uh, hey uh, Kenji Jojimo was good for a while there. Remember, I liked him. Okay, before you go, though, I yeah, do want yeah, to, please, we've been please. kind of dancing around it, and I want to just get into it. Um, in 2013, uh, you wrote something for Grantland, rip in peace to Grantland, called Washout Draft Repeat, the Endless Saga of yeah. a Mariners fan. And I'm bummed that you already laid claim to that title, because that would have been perfect for this. <laughs> but uh, in that piece, you write about someone who I think we may have said his name, but didn't really talk about too much, uh, besides the, the, the broken tank that ended up uh, missing out on Strasburg. And that, of course, is Dustin Ackley. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to quote you, not because I want to dunk on you, but because I think it's really fascinating to read this now. Uh, in that piece you wrote about Ackley, here was the next Edgar Martinez. Here was a bona fide Mariner hitter developed in-house, capable of leading, leading the team back to relevance. And as Strasburg struggled with arm injuries, the question at the time appeared to be, did the Mariners win the draft by getting Ackley? So obviously the answer to that is no. It was I no was, in that piece, to be right. clear. Yeah, 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 no. I'm not, yeah, this wasn't you as a take. I'm saying yeah. this was just you, like, recounting what it felt like to draft Dustin Ackley. Yeah. And so I was going to just ask you then, because that is kind of all wrapped up in this thing about, like, who do you trust? How do you actually start to believe in the Mariners again? So what did Dustin Ackley specifically mean to you? Like, what compelled you to write so much about that feeling as it pertains to Dustin Ackley? Or what is it about the Mariners' spirit that you think really resonated through the Dustin Ackley experience? There's something about it where, you, you know, he was a high-floor guy. Like, when we drafted Dustin Ackley, it was like, you can pencil him in to be good forever. And, like, his top comp to me when we drafted him like or his 50th percentile comp if you will maybe even low maybe even like 30th percentile comp was brian roberts who was just like a dude on the orioles who went out 
played really solid second base, hit well, some power, you know, not a ton of power. He had a couple big power seasons, but like for the most part was like a 3-4 win second baseman with his peak being a little above that, but just was like a consistent dude they could rely on to be a great middle infielder for them and was just a building block sort of piece. And it's the sort of guy who the Mariners just failed to get over and over again. And they tried, and they tried to do it the veteran route over and over again with Spezio and Cirillo and Aurelia. Didn't work. Then they tried to develop those guys with some international signings and the guys we mentioned, Bet and Court and Lopez, and it just didn't work. And it just felt like, okay, we didn't get Strasburg, we didn't get this meteoric superstar, but it's like we got, at the very least in Dustin Ackley, we got this. And his rookie year... He looked like that, maybe even better. And like when you squinted at Dustin Ackley and you dreamed, what you saw was Chase Utley. You saw a Hall of Fame caliber superstar who could be a chess piece on a World Series champion team. Like, I don't think it was crazy to look at Dustin Ackley as a prospect after his rookie year and say his 75th, 80th percentile, not even 99th or something, like a high percentile, but still not outrageous, was this dude is going to be Chase Utley, which, you know, I say that now and like, I don't know what sort of resonance Chase Utley's name has, but like, dude was amazing. Like, I, I don't know if, like, which is just to say like, Ackley was going to be somewhere between Roberts and Utley, and it was going to be great. And then just the cracks started forming. And again, it happened in slow motion. It was sort of three years of just like spidering out cracks in this unmissable prospect. And then it all shattering out from underneath. And he like grew a beard and like his eyes started looking like dead behind the retinas. And it was just like, it just like took a physical toll on him. Like, Like he'd been inhabited by some sort of curse. And it was like, why? Why is this thing that, like, was supposed to be safe and good and at the very least decent and maybe something more than that, why is that turning to ash in our mouths? And it just, like, there's no, like, I could not tell you why. There is no, like, possible explanation for what the heck happened with Dustin Ackley. Of all the, like, and and I, I referenced it in that Grantland piece, and I only know this because, like, I went to look it up recently because I was looking for the lookout landing piece Jeff Sullivan wrote a couple years before I wrote that Grantland piece, which was about the connection between Jeremy Reed's underlying stats and Dustin Ackley's underlying stats, right as Ackley started slumping for the first time in his second year. And he was like, there's something here that like matches up, but like, I don't know. And I feel like there's just like, it happened. Like he got spoken into existence and it happened. And it's... The, it, it, it's that feeling of being cursed and like of having all of your hopes and hopelessness dashed and with Ackley it just sucks because like they didn't do anything wrong the only sin they committed was winning one too many games and still that was enough to turn a Mariners sure thing into a Mariners disaster and I don't know why like that to me is so endemic of the last 18 years of this franchise more so than anything else, to have that much value turn into just like a journeyman minor league guy for the Yankees and Angels. Ugh. Like, what? 
Like if like what? Like how? It is almost too poetic that the guy who was supposed to be the can't miss ended up missing in like such a specifically Mariners way. Where he started good, like you said, that 2011 debut was very fun to watch. I remember it was the Phillies too who he came up against who had a great starting rotation and he was still putting the ball in play, getting hit, spraying it around, whatever. And then like you said, 2012 comes and it all comes crashing down. It's almost like... I don't know, this is going to sound crude, but it's almost like when you realize that, like, sex can be bad, or that it can <laughs> smell weird, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like, you're so blind to all of the things that could happen that you're just amazed at how good it is at the beginning. And then... But, like, it's... here's the thing, and, like, again, I'm sticking with your metaphor, and I'm sorry, but, like, most trajectories when it comes to either sex or baseball are positive through, like, your early 20s into your mid-20s. Right, like, yeah. Like, you're, you're supposed time. to get... Like, that's when you're supposed to get better at both of those things. And, like, you look at Kyle Seeger, and he did it. Kyle Seeger went from being sort of nothing to being, like, a really valuable and great member of this team. And, and having, like, five kids, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You clearly great at sex. Um, uh, whereas Justin Ackley, it's like... Again, like, he starts looking haggard and weird. Like... I don't know, like, Dustin Ackley, when he came up, was a dreamboat. And by the end, yeah. I was like, I don't know. I don't know about this Dustin Ackley guy. It's really funny, too, because the exact same physical thing happened with James Paxton, where he grew the bushy beard and he got dead behind the eyes. And that's why I was so happy that he got the no-hitter, because you could see pure happiness on his face for maybe the first time. And even this year, I watched him in the playoffs, and it still felt like he was kind of robotic, kind of beaten down. Like, he didn't have the the emotions gene or whatever yet like it hadn't unlocked in his brain because of i think his mariner's childhood if you will yeah yeah and, and i think that i think there's something in that roboticness because like we've talked about favorite mariners player and there's only one guy who i love who we haven't mentioned and he was only a mariner for like what three months but cliff lee was to mm. me like a was the one great trade that zarensic made that trade is still unbelievable and like he was a good robot like he was like a he was impervious to all the nonsense of the mariners because he was just a robot at his core who could place pitches wherever he wanted and that was his one skill and like the fact that we squandered cliff lee still just breaks my heart but god did i love watching him pitch for three months yeah well that i think that's the perfect way to end this is thinking about a three-month period where we had the specter of a good season or a good career and it was yeah. gone in the blink of an eye in many ways like podcasting you know very ethereal yep people will uh well i don't know hopefully people will be listening to our combined takes on uh dustin ackley and kyle seeger's respective sex lives for <laughs> for decades to come Let's hope so. Okay, before you go, Spike, is there anything you would like to plug? Would you want to direct people to any social media or anything like that? The floor is yours. Too, uh, I mean, I'm on Twitter at Spike Friedman. Uh, feel free to follow me for Seahawks and politics takes, I guess, if you want. You don't have to. Uh, no pressure, guys. Follow me on Instagram if you want to see pictures of Edgar Martinez Friedman. That's probably the better choice. Yeah, that's that's good. We like that. We don't like anyone pressuring people to do stuff on here. It's, you know, do whatever makes you feel good. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm at Twitter at mroberson22. Uh, as always, read Lookout Landing. Subscribe to this podcast if you feel so inclined. 
Uh, if you like it, give us a rating on iTunes, but only if it's five stars. And come back throughout the offseason as we continue talking to people about why we willingly choose to follow and support the Seattle Mariners Baseball Club. Uh, any final words, Spike, before we get uh, out of here? Yeah, what, my question to you, what is the one, who's coming up this year that I should be happy to watch? Ooh, okay, so... I mean, it's, it seems like they're setting up Evan White to be here. Like, the job, they keep saying the job is his to lose. So if he has a good spring training or even a decent spring training, he will be here. And I think he is fun because he kind of breaks the mold of a traditional first baseman. Like, his glove is his carrying tool, if you will, which okay. is crazy for a first baseman. And it's like, that's, I think, one of the reasons why they feel ready to bring him up is because at the very least... He can hold his own at first base and also be sort of a difference maker, which is weird. Uh, he bats right-handed and throws left-handed, which I also love. So he has like a, a weird quirky profile to him. I can't claim to be watching a lot of minor league baseball. Um, you'd have to dig around a little bit for that. But I'm excited for Evan White also just because of the confidence they're showing in him. I think that has to matter in some way. Like locking him up for nine years tells Evan White that the Mariners – want him to play first base every day and I think that that will carry over into his actual uh, season uh, my personal favorite though of the youngins who will be up this year is Shed Long who debuted okay. last year yeah I remember Shed Long yeah he's great I just love any short dude who swings for the fences every time I think that's like a great just baseball archetype and of course he has the goggles and the big smile and I love this is very minor but I love little guys who wear double digit numbers like he's the smallest guy in the team and he wears number 39 I just think it's really funny visually so Shedlong is my guy I would recommend getting into them the real blue chippers uh, the top three I guess Gilbert the pitcher and then the two teenage outfielders Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kalanick, they're going to be a while, at least I would say 2021. So Got it. next year I'm tying my wagon to Shed Long and seeing where it takes me. Great. Love to be in a long shed in there. Exactly. It is a great name too. He really checks all the boxes. <laughs> it's an honor to be able to root for Shed Long. It really is. And it was an honor to do this with you, Spike. And for everyone listening, thank you for being here. Uh, until next time, goodbye.